thank our worship team and our tech team and everybody who's been uh, been giving of themselves during uh, during this day, and uh, we are just thrilled to be uh, celebrating again with you. And uh, I was just telling the staff this morning, this Easter feels a little different. I, I don't know, it just does. It feels a little bit different to me. Uh, I know Hannah read this earlier, <clears throat> but what I'd like to do is just, I want you to see these words on the screen, because there's some important things about these words, and it's from John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Early on the first day, I'm sorry, uh, 11 through 18, now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not recognize and realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, this is what I want you to get. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. And Jesus said, do not hold on to me for I've not yet ascended to the father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my father and your father, my God and our God, your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Um, <clears throat> just really a couple things really quick before we jump in. But uh, I want to encourage you, if you don't have one of these, this next steps card. Um, we have an actual guest luncheon uh, next week. And we want to encourage anybody who's new to the church from January 1st until right now, if you want to mark uh, that or sign up for that, I think that there's a slide up there that has a QR code. We will see here in just a second. Yep, lunch with leaders. So if you've been new, uh, you can register to join the staff uh, for a lunch, get to know us, learn about some next steps that you can take in the church. Uh, if you download the app too, you can access it uh, from that as well. And so we just want to encourage you to, to take advantage of that. But on today, this Easter Sunday, I think it's only fair on a day like today uh, to let you know up front what my end game is. I always appreciate it when people, I don't, you know, you hear the 30-minute spiel and then you find out, oh, that's what this was about. You want to sell me a timeshare or, you know, different things like that. So I think it's always good to kind of put out front uh, what my intentions are. So I'm going to tell you, I'm going to challenge every single one of us in this room this morning today to put our faith in Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. So that's my intention. My end game is that you would walk out of this room uh, with God pulling on your heart today to put your faith in his son, Jesus Christ. Uh, so all over the world today, people are getting together for uh, all kinds of reasons. The doors of the church are opening up. They'll come in, they'll search online for a service to participate in. All of that really for one reason. There's something collective that we understand about this day that commands our attention. There's a reason you came today and not tomorrow, okay? There, there's a reason today is significant, and engaging like this is important. Now, some people, uh, some people are here on Easter because it's an obligation. Maybe you have a family member sitting right next to you, giving you the side eye, 
wanting you to be here this morning. Uh, maybe there's all kinds of reasons why you came. Some people come, most people come because their faith compels them to be here. Compels them to be here to celebrate what we're celebrating today. Um, when I was growing up, uh, we went to Mass. I grew up Catholic, so we went to Mass on Easter Sunday morning. And uh, it wasn't until actually I was eight or nine that I realized why we went to Mass on Easter Sunday morning. It was because we were going to be going to lunch at my great-grandmother's house, and she always asked us if we'd gone to Mass on Easter Sunday morning. And so we'd get all dressed up, shined up, we'd go to Mass, and then we'd go to Grandma's for, for lunch. And uh, there was one year, though, and she would, she would, she would ask us, did you go to Mass this morning, Richie? And uh, so she, we just knew the question was there. But one Easter, and again, I think I was eight or nine years old, and um, we got up, and my parents had prepared like a little Easter egg hunt inside the house, and then they made breakfast, and we were all still in our pajamas, and it was just one of those mornings that just kind of got away from us, I think, and we did not go to Easter Mass. But we were still going to go to Great Grandma's for lunch. So my parents pulled out our nice clothes. We got dressed up, and the whole drive to my great-grandma's house, there was this ongoing conversation. If grandma asks you, yeah, yeah, happy Easter. <laughs> if grandma asks you. So we get to great-grandma's house, and uh, we come all, all of us come up in the house all dressed up, and the smells are awesome. You can smell the ham, all that kind of different stuff. There's jello everywhere, all that good stuff. And uh, right as my grandma, and this is what she ever, ever my great-grandma Bristol, this is what she did. She would be the one that got to cut the lamb cake. Have you ever seen a lamb cake? Actually, Strax is selling them right now. <laughs> okay, now listen, the one that you see on the screen there, that is the nice, presentable, it's supposed to represent the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It's, honestly, it's always been lost to me. It's a little creepy. I'll just be really honest. That's the Pinterest one. So let, let me show you the ones that I grew up with without the Pinterest filter on them. Some of these right here. <laughs> okay, that one right there looks like a manatee. And I, I, you know, honestly, I mean, this is the stuff. So you can manage. I'm, a, I'm messed up. You cut into those things and start eating those things. That'll, those are the things nightmares are made of. <laughs> All right, so as my great-grandma, she's getting ready to slice the cake, and there I am with my plate. She looks at me, and she says, how was mass this morning, Richie? And instantly, I could feel my mom's heat <laughs> from her eyes on me. So I'm, how was mass, Richie? And I, I, I just kind of froze. And I I loved my great-grandma. She was an amazing, amazing woman. And um, I, I hated the idea of disappointing her. And so here she is. She's serving up my nightmare. And then, then she looks at me, and she kind of gets down close. She goes, you didn't get all dressed up for me today, did you? And I mean, mortified. And she gets down in my face, and she looks at me, and she winks. And she says, I didn't go either. Do you like my dress? <laughs> I miss that woman. Listen, people show up for Easter for all kinds of reasons. All kinds of reasons. 
my challenge for us today is to not just celebrate Easter. We're here to do more than just celebrate Easter. We need to embrace the hope of Easter for ourselves. It's got to be a, re a reality for all of us. There is a resurrection story that is being written. It's your story. Jesus has already been resurrected, okay? But there is a resurrection story being written. It's your story. There are ups and downs in your story. There's highs and lows. There's milestones. If we're honest in our own stories, there's mistakes, right? You ever made a mistake? A moment when your story took a turn that, man, I wish I could call a do-over. I wish I could change that part of my story. When the circumstances of life maybe killed a dream that you had. A moment of lost hope. Where hope was just gone. Uh, all good stories, I think, start with hope. Uh, a picture of what life could be, what it should be. That's where our stories should begin. But then somebody gets sick. There's a diagnosis. Or you have a relationship that goes south. It turns. Maybe there's a betrayal. Maybe there's a death that takes place. Those moments. In those moments, hope in those moments becomes a little bit of a luxury. In those instances. Dreams of what could be start to fade. Plans fall through. People fail. Doors start to close. Life kind of kills those dreams, maybe, and that hope that you had. Uh, earlier, we heard the testimony of a woman who reported the resurrection of Jesus from John 20, verses 11 through 18. It reminds me of another woman's story. There's a man named Victor Hugo, and he wrote the novel Les Miserables. I'll just say Les Mis, but uh, that's French. And he wrote that novel in 1862, and he wrote it to really ex express disdain for the three great evils he saw in France in his day. Uh, one was poverty, uh, the second was the exploitation of women and children, and the third was hypocrisy in the church. Uh, so he wrote this novel to really reveal all of that stuff, and it's a really, really gritty storyline. He pulls no punches. There's all these stories that weave together, and uh, it follows the narrative of one man, Jean Valjean, and he's a prisoner that's been paroled and but the person that comes to my mind in this instance, particularly as I read this passage of scripture, is another character you meet early. Her name is Fontaine. Fontaine is an unwed single mother. And uh, she has had a child out of wedlock, and she is now paying some innkeepers, some evil people, really to care for her child and stuff, while she spends her days working in factories. And she's this beautiful woman who has this horrible situation befall her. And then all of a sudden, the gossip mill starts running, and it's found out by the higher-ups in the business that uh, she has an illegitimate child. And so she loses her job, but she's still got to provide money to send for her daughter to survive. And so she puts herself to work. First, she cuts her hair. She sells her hair. Then she begins, and this was... France in the 1800s, she pulls out her teeth and begins selling her teeth. And then not long after that, she begins selling her body. And with that comes disease. And so there's this moment where Jean Valjean's story and Fantine's story intersect, but it's, it feels too late. It feels too late. She's dying. She's dying and she sings this song called I Dreamed a Dream. And maybe you've heard this song. It's been around for a while. The musical came out in the 80s. 
but uh, it's this powerful, powerful song. And in the movie, if you've seen the movie that came out just a few years ago, the musical, Anne Hathaway plays this part. It's a hard song to listen to, but it's also a hard song to watch. She is absolutely incredible at this. And if you've never seen it, I encourage you to look it up. But she sings these words, and it's almost like she is literally singing at her grave, her own graveside. That's where she is. She is about to die. And this is where she is. So here are the words. She says, I dreamed a dream of time gone by when hope was high, when life was worth living. I dreamed that love would never die. I dreamed that God would be forgiving. Then she goes on in the song and she, she talks about all these different things that hope doesn't land on any of those things in her life anymore. She says, but there are dreams that cannot be and there are storms we cannot weather. And then the song ends honestly with this, this confession. I had a dream my life would be so different from this hell that I'm living. So different now from what it seemed. But life has killed the dream that I dreamed. Now, I'm absolutely sure you walked into this room today to be encouraged like that. Okay. Uh, hang with me here. Do we not all have dreams that didn't come to fruition? Don't we have dreams that maybe died somewhere in some of the challenges of life that we faced? You've seen it in other people's lives. I'm going to guess. Haven't you ever witnessed somebody go through something that's just Literally, you just stand there to the side thinking, I have no idea how that person can go on. How can that person have hope after what they've been through, after what's been done to them, after what's been taken from them? We all know those stories. Yes, Easter is a celebration of life, and that is why we're here today, is to celebrate life. But it, that celebration actually begins with a woman who has no hope, and she's weeping by a grave where hope has died. Her dream is gone. Her hope is dead. Mary had already made that trip to the tomb once before, but now there she is. She's sitting alone. It's empty. It's ridiculous. And we don't know as much about Mary Magdalene as movies sometimes insinuate. Uh, there's a lot of plot lines that carry out the idea that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. I don't, I don't really fall in that camp. I don't see that lining up that way. But uh, based on what we do know about Mary, though, we do know that Mary had a rough hand dealt to her in life before she met Jesus. Because Scripture tells us that Jesus delivered her from seven demons when he met her. Now, just so you know, in that day and age, uh, they called anything a demon. You could have had depression. You're filled with a demon. Uh, you could have had epilepsy. You're filled with a demon. So whatever it was, Jesus brought healing into her life. And she didn't face those things anymore. She could experience life now free of whatever those seven things were that were holding her down. Now she had a hope to live the life that she wanted to live. Now she had a dream of what could be because Jesus had intersected her life. Gave her the ability to dream. But now, as she's sitting by that grave... Her hope is gone. I mean, it's just devastated. So when that voice echoes out, this, this voice that she doesn't recognize, why are you crying? This is why she's crying. 
She had literally watched hope die on a cross. Life had killed the dream. A a Roman cross had crucified hope. What is hope? We know it's not wishful thinking, okay? Uh, Blind optimism? I don't know. Hope it doesn't rain. You and I have no control over anything like that, right? Um, I wish she would call. (laughs) Those are wishes that you can't do anything. I I hope this sermon doesn't go too long. That's called wishful thinking. Okay, that's (laughs) stuff like that. Here's what the dictionary says hope is. A desire with the expectation that it's going to be fulfilled. There's there's an air of confidence in that statement. I have a desire for something, and I actually expect that it's going to happen. It's a confident expectation of the fulfillment of something. It begins with a desire, but then it adds the element of confidence. So when you and I hope for something, we're counting on it, right? We're counting on it. Without hope, what's the point? What is the point? When teams lose hope, you've seen that happen before, haven't you? Like, why are we watching the last five minutes of this game? There's no hope, right? You've seen that happen. Those in the medical field, have you ever watched a patient lose hope? And then suffer because of it. There's a guy named Viktor Frankl. He survived years in Nazi concentration camps. And as he wrote, he would take notes and stuff. He noted that uh, every Christmas in those concentration camps, there was a disproportionate number of prisoners who would die within a few days after Christmas. It's because they had hoped that maybe that Christmas they'd be with their family. But then Christmas came and went, and they just gave up hope. They just gave up hope. They, they died when their hope died. So for Mary, in this moment, there's no wishful thinking, there's no hope, no blind optimism. She honestly shows up, she expects a corpse She's got a bunch of spices with her because that's just what you did. It was going to smell. She was there to take care of the body, uh, to cover the smell of death, the death that basically her redeemer died, the one who was redeeming her dreams, her hope. She'd watched him die. She'd literally physically watched Jesus Christ die. So the empty tomb, that's just insult to injury. And then you hear the words, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? So thinking that he was a gardener, she said, sir, if you'd carried him away, tell me where you put him. I'll go get him. I'll go get him. I love this part. He doesn't say to her, stop crying. He says, why are you crying? He doesn't say stop crying. He doesn't shame her, say, hey, I told you I was coming back. Why, where's your faith? What's wrong with your faith today? He doesn't shame her at all. Instead, he meets her exactly where she is. I don't know about you, but I need to hear that. He will meet you exactly where you are, and he will call you by name. He knows you. At that moment, when Jesus said the word Mary, hope returned to the whole situation. Hope returned. And here's, here's the deal. You and I need nothing less. We need a resurrection of hope. How many of you are like, yeah, 2020 and 2021, awesome. It was amazing years for me. Okay. 
No. Listen, how many of you think there's a whole lot of people who lost hope over the last two years? Maybe you did. You saw a job disappear. You saw loved ones suffer and die. Maybe it was you. Mental illness is off the charts. Emotional, relational, spiritual trauma has surfaced. Families have fractured. So unfortunately, over things like politics and health. And just when you think we're over the hump, five million refugees in the last month have left the country of Ukraine. And six and a half million are displaced in-country. The largest refugee movement in Europe since World War II. Coupled, I think, with how easily it is to just forget so many other things as the news cycle just keeps on going, genocide, other refugees that frankly don't look like Eastern Europeans, but somehow don't make it on the front of our brains, uh, trafficking. It would be morbid to go down the list today of the things that fuel our Facebook feeds and our preferred news outlets. Uh, there is real hopelessness in the world today. Would you agree? There's real hopelessness. That's not even to mention our own drama. <laughs> I don't know about you, I got drama. You got drama? Okay. A hopeless relationship, hopeless attitude. Maybe you've got a hopeless habit or a hopeless addiction that you keep nurturing. Things that we keep going to looking for something that's never going to be there. Fail to give us what we need. A resurrection of hope so that we actually can dream again. A hope and a future. On that Resurrection Sunday, that's what Jesus offered Mary at the tomb. There's something very, very important to remember here. She watched him die. I'm 47 years old. Uh, I've lost both of my parents, all my grandparents, a bunch of aunts and uncles, probably over half of them. Uh, and here's something that they don't teach you or tell you when you're going through preacher school. One day you're gonna fall in love with a whole bunch of people. And you get to be a mourner along with everybody else, but then you actually have to go up and lead people in their mourning. They don't tell you you're gonna have to bury your own friends. And honestly, as a follower of Jesus, I have hope. I have hope, but can I just be frank with you? I've, I've had enough. <laughs> I've had enough of death. It's not, a, it's not a great experience for me. I've seen the weeping and gnashing of teeth. I've heard the wailing. When there's so much love in you for who you are losing or have lost, that, that the idea that that love that you have has nowhere to land anymore. I've been a part of it. I've seen too much of it. I can't think of anything, honestly, that embodies the shattering of a dream more than death. Mary watched death steal her hope. But here's the good news. Hope is not a what. It's not even a when. Hope is a person. Hope is a person. In the grand flow of God's love for the whole world, he delivered hope in the form of Jesus Christ. That's what he did for us. If the absolute absence of hope is death, then you and I have a problem. 
Scripture tells us, but we also know from experience, if we really were vulnerable and honest just a little bit, we know that we have a problem, that, that sin causes brokenness, that sin earns brokenness. It earns separation from others, from God. When there is something in my life that goes against what God desires for me and I'm, I'm participating in it, my relationships don't go the way they're supposed to do, particularly my relationship with God. So the wages of sin, Scripture says, is death. Our sin earns death, and we all fall short. None of us hit the mark. None of us have lived that perfect life. We might not have done what other people have done. On a scale, you might be doing okay, but in the cosmic scheme of things, we all know, we all know that we fall short. Sin earns us death, the darkness, the brokenness, permanent hopelessness. You can't join enough churches. You can't listen to enough sermons, you can't get baptized enough, you can't take communion enough, you can't get dressed up and go to Easter enough. You can't do enough good deeds to defeat the one that robs all of us of hope, eternally, death. In an act of loving sacrifice, God sent his son Jesus Christ to die and set us free from the law of sin and death free to hope again, free to dream again, free to actually have real life. That's what we're offered. God didn't just wish that you and I would just get our act together. I just wish these people would get their act together. God didn't just wish that, I wish that they would just do better. No, God knew that you and I did not have the power over the law of sin and death. So he did something about it. In that empty grave, we, along with Mary, discover that death no longer has that final word. It doesn't have the final word. Now, now we have a hope, and it comes through Jesus Christ, the one who lived the life that you and I are unable to live, and he beat death. I can't ever say that enough. Jesus Christ beat death. He beat death, and in him, as we confess our sin, as we admit our need, as we believe in his resurrection, and then we declare him as Lord of our lives, we have a hope actually that can never die. It can absolutely never die. Jesus arrested death's power. It no longer has any power over us, regardless of how life might have killed the dream that you might be dreaming or has robbed you of your hope, the cross and the empty grave stand as reminders that nothing can absolutely rob you of hope again. You have an eternal hope, and that's so hard to wrap our brains around, but it's the realization that if God can take something like the death of his son and bring life out of that, can he not do the same in any situation that you're facing today? He can bring hope, it may not be all the answers we would want them to be, but he can infuse you with hope in the middle of whatever it is that you're going through today. The story's not over. I mean, it feels kind of like when we get together for Easter, we celebrate that he died, he was buried, he rose again, close the book. Listen, the story is still being written, and it's being written in you. You're his story. I don't know how to say that any differently. You are his story. God can and will you meet you in that place of hopelessness just like he met Mary. And he calls you by name. He says your name. Hope is a person. His resurrection proves 
His resurrection proves he's stronger than any failure, any loss, any disappointment, any way that life might have killed the dream that you dreamed. If life has a way of killing dreams, Jesus has a way of bringing those things back to life. Back to life. Victor Hugo, the guy that, that wrote Les Mis, um, he really struggled with the church of his day. And they struggled with him. <laughs> uh, he was such an outspoken critic of the church of Rome, and particularly how it neglected the working class and those who went without. He just felt like the church was not being the church. And so he had a lot to say about the church, and the church actually had a lot to say about him. And so they banned and they condemned all of his writings, all of his works. And as I mentioned, there's this other character in his book, Jean Valjean. Jean Valjean was in prison. He's at the, in prison at the beginning of the book because 19 years earlier, his sister and family were dying. They were starving to death. And so they didn't have anything. And so he went out and he stole a loaf of bread to feed his sister's dying family. And he got arrested, 19 years. So for 19 years, he was locked up, part of a chain gang in a way, labor, prison, and he became a broken man. He became an angry man. He became a battered man. And in that 19th year, he was paroled, set free, but not really. There's this amazing thing that takes place, and you see the redemption of Jean Valjean take place when he actually goes to a priest to find a place to stay for the night. And during the middle of the night, he just can't figure out how he's going to escape this life that he's a part of now because his former prison sentence is going to follow him along everywhere. Nobody will take him in. Nobody will give him work. He's still in prison. And at the end of the day, he ends up taking a bunch of things from, from where the priest lives, candlesticks, all kinds of stuff. He steals them. Now, he's not a thief, okay? But he finds himself essentially doing this. He steals, he gets caught and brought back to the man to face him. And instead of condemnation, instead of this man saying, yep, take him away, he, he literally would have spent the rest of his life chained up in prison and he would have died in prison because of what he had done. He had stole from the church. He stole from the church. Instead, here's what he experienced. Love and grace from the very man that he took from and said, you forgot these other things also and gave him more to sell. In that act, Jean Valjean found hope again for something new. That act right there of sacrifice and love and mercy restored hope to that man. And the rest of the story is this amazing journey of a man living out what it means to embrace that hope. It only happens, though, when he sets you free. It only happens when he sets you free. So as the worship team comes up, I'm going to ask you to imagine something with me. Maybe it'll help if you close your eyes. It's up to you, but I want you to imagine in your mind's eye, I want you to picture in your mind a prison cell. It's dark, floor's cold, hard concrete. And in the corner of that prison cell, what you see is you see a figure that's slumped over. It's a defeated person. 
is somebody that's sitting in the corner of that cell on the floor, hunched over, and as you catch and look and see that prisoner's eyes, the person's eyes you actually see looking back at you are yours. You see your own self in that cell. And in a moment of honesty, you admit your need. You recognize that maybe it's some of your own actions that have put yourself in that cell, that you're, you're just held back, you're restricted. You admit your need and there's nothing that you can do. You just acknowledge it. There's, there's a reason you're slumped over in the corner. It's because nothing you've done or nothing you've tried has opened that prison door has opened that cell door. You can't do anything to open that cell door. And for you, hope is long gone. It's long gone. So let me ask you, as you're in that cell, hope, there's literally nothing to hope for. What you need more than anything in that moment is you need somebody who has the authority to actually open that cell door. Because in that cell, you're pretty much, I mean, you're, you're in your grave, essentially. Your life is over. Hope is gone. What you need more than anything in that moment is someone with the authority to open the cell door. You need to know the one who holds the keys. So can I share with you one of my favorite passages of Scripture? It's Revelation 1.18. I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades, the grave. Listen, Jesus Christ took our death on the cross, a cross that was designed for a criminal. By all appearances, hope was lost, but then Jesus rose from the grave, and check this out, he had a set of keys in his hand. Okay, He held keys in his hand. Hey, I was dead. I'm alive now. And check it out. While I was there, I stole the keys. All right, you want out? Let me unlock the door for you. I have the keys now of death and the grave. Listen, do you need to be free to hope again today? Is that you? Here's what I can tell you. Just like Mary, he will meet you exactly where you are. Would you let him... Would you let him open the door today? I want you to stand with me, and I want to lead you in a prayer. If you find yourself today realizing that you need a Savior to set you free, restore your hope today to free you from the law of sin and death, I want to invite you right now, just close your eyes and bow your heads. I want to invite you to pray this following prayer with me. God, I come before you today. And I know that my life is not perfect. I know that I fall short. There's brokenness in my life today. But I do believe Jesus died my death on the cross. I receive your forgiveness for my sin today. I celebrate that the door is flung open for me that Jesus loves me and sets me free. That he lives today in me, giving me grace and hope. And I give my life to living for you. 
Thank you. Amen. Let's sing together. Chains I'm a Rejoice as though heaven had lost. But then Jesus arose with a
uh, to journey with you. And I just want to encourage you, if you prayed, uh, if you put your faith in Christ today, this next step card is your new best friend next to Jesus. And uh, we would love to have you on the backside, whether it's baptism, which we'll be having here in a few weeks. Uh, maybe your next step is to get baptized, jump in a membership course, uh, life groups, whatever it is. We want to encourage you to fill out one of these next step cards. You can drop it in a box in the back on the wall. You can take it to the Welcome Center. But uh, I'm so glad that you're here today. Can I just pray a blessing over you as we leave here today? Father, we're so grateful for the love that we have, that death was arrested, that it has no sting anymore. And Father, we do acknowledge that, that, that death brings pain and loss, but at the same time, we have this eternal hope that transcends all of that. Our joy is not on this temporary situation in front of us. Our joy springs eternal because of what Jesus has done for us. So as we leave here as your church today, help us, Father, to live out what it means to be your followers at the same time. Father, help us to always sing the praises of Jesus. This is about Jesus. And so we thank you for your love for us. It's in his name and all God's people said, amen. amen. God bless you. Have an amazing and amazing day.